Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So the January 6th committee subpoenas the Secret Service and says you have to turn over all text messages for January 6th. And the Secret Service is like, yeah, we, we, we don't have any. There was this great migration of and new phones. and uh, uh, Oops. We don't have any. They turned over one. They turned over one text message. They had this agency-wide reset of phones on January 27th of 2021, 11 days after Congress first requested communications, two days after agents were reminded to back up their phones, and all the messages are gone. Um, look, uh, this, this is a government that couldn't figure out how to have a guard and a working video camera on Jeffrey Epstein. Why not? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Yes, the federal government allowed Jeffrey Epstein to kill himself. Yes, it's William Barr's fault. I would tell that to the man's face and not give a good holy damn about his response. He did it. He let it happen. When I say he did it, he let it happen. I'm not saying he's the one who killed Jeffrey Epstein. I don't think he's a get-his-hands-dirty kind of guy. Find everything at TonyKatz.com, by the way. Um, you don't have the text messages? I, I don't know what to do with this information. How do you not have the text messages? You, you, you've provided uh, uh, documents, but one text. Who loses their job? This is a continual conversation and question that we all have. We, if we were guilty of such absolute ignorance and such a dereliction of duty, we would lose our jobs. We would be out of work. These people all remain. And not everything is, well, Tony, you don't understand. Deleted? So is it deleted because it would be too helpful to Trump? It would be deleted because it wasn't helpful enough to Trump? Was it deleted because it would be too helpful to the committee or not helpful enough? Who gets, you're told to hold on to them. The Inspector General, uh, Joseph Kafari, C-U-F-F-A-R-I, he's gotten hundreds of thousands of disclosures of agency documents, policies, radio communications, emails, briefings, and interviews, but yet somehow not, not this. Never think for a second that I think the January 6th committee has any value to provide. That is not the point of me bringing this up. The point of me bringing this up is it gets a little too convenient when the federal government is able to just say, oops. It's not, it it is an ever-growing problem that those in power believe that they are somehow different than us. And I want those people very much held to account. They deserve to be held to account. They're bad people. 
They're dangerous people. I cannot tell you that Paul Pelosi, the husband of Nancy Pelosi, is guilty of insider trading. What I can tell you is that when he is able to engage in stock purchases, like, for example, a million dollars into a chip company, a microchip company, as Congress is debating a package to help uh, those who want to create microchip semiconductors, that's an issue. Over there at justthenews.com, the history of Paul Pelosi's timely stock purchases. And the answer from uh, Nancy Pelosi's camp, the Speaker of the House, is uh, we, we don't talk about those things. It's completely separate. It's not completely separate. No rational person thinks it's completely separate. What the hell? If a Republican does it, there should be questions. There should be questions. It is without saying that the, the, it's not a question of conflict of interest. It's a question of utilizing data and utilizing connections that other people don't have to benefit oneself. That's what's happening. I mean, the Pelosi's are worth hundreds of millions. It should disgust us all regardless of party. It isn't somehow an acceptable thing because you like Nancy Pelosi's politics. The visa stock purchases in 2008, they were lobbying Congress to stop legislation that would curb uh, swipe fees. So as is noted by CBS, the Pelosi's purchased 5,000 shares of visa at the initial price of $44. Should, should we do the math, Producer Ari? I know, I know you're, you're a man who knows his, his stocks, right? He loves his stocks. 5,000 shares at $44. That's $220,000. Two days later, you know what it was selling for? $64. Throw him in jail. 320,000. Guy made 100 grand in two days. 25 years minimum. And that's producer Ari saying it. Uh, I, I, this is one of my big pet peeves, one of my big issues. It's the, the same thing here is the same thing about Jeffrey Epstein is the same thing uh, uh, about the, the text messages from the Secret Service. What do you mean you don't have them? What do you mean you're able to do this? What do you mean there was no video camera that was working looking into Jeffrey Epstein's cell? What do you mean the two guards fell asleep and one of them wasn't actually a guard? What is this nonsense? And then we're supposed to get distracted by some kind of bullcrap abortion conversation or green this or that and, 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 and lose focus and forget? And the question that gets asked is, do you really think the American people are that ignorant? And the answer is, well, well, well yeah. We should not think that only an elected uh, official is a useful idiot for, a, for those who push communism, Marxism, and government control. A lot of useful idiots on the ground. A tremendous number of useful idiots who will gladly look the other way while their country gets ransacked and screwed. It's gross. Everything I just discussed isn't okay.
Yet we act like it only matters if it affects our side. As long as it hurts the other guy, I guess it's fine. If it hurts our guy, let's just pretend it didn't happen and everything will be all right. What the hell? That's pathetic. That's pathetic. Uh, these documents. The agency says it was up to employees to conduct the necessary preservation of records from their phones. They provided a step-by-step guide to preserve mobile phone content, including text messages, prior to the phone migration that began on January 27th. And states that all Secret Service employees are responsible for appropriately preserving government records that may be created via text message. So, who gets fired? The Secret Service continues to engage in extensive efforts to further assess whether any relevant text messages sent or received by 24 individuals identified by the Office of the Inspector General through Homeland Security were lost due to the in-tune migration, and if so, whether such texts are recoverable. Who gets fired? If I'm told that I'm not allowed to delete delete texts and the texts are deleted, I'm pretty sure my ass is going to jail. What happens to them? I don't want to be angry at the Secret Service. I just want to recognize that while I may think this committee is a bunch of hot nonsense, we're talking about government employees here. How many other people could just delete something and it's okay, no big deal? It's a huge deal. Let me state for the record, you should be pissed. Because when these things happen and they continue to happen, that's what creates the two classes. That, what, that is exactly what creates the idea of the haves and the have-nots, the can and the cannots. I can do whatever I choose. You have to follow every nonsense rule that exists in humanity. It's out of control. And it has to stop. Has to stop. So I'm infuriated by this stuff. But it never should be confused with whether or not I think the January 6th committee is anything other than a bunch of nonsense. Because the January 6th committee is a bunch of nonsense. Everybody associated with the committee uh, should be wholly embarrassed and ashamed of themselves for Kinzinger and Cheney to think that somehow this is where Republicans need to be. No, 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 no. Not liking Trump, not agreeing with Trump, not being around Trump, that's all fine. Thinking that he screwed up on January 6th, that's also fine. Absolutely fine. You cannot like the guy. Mike Pence made an endorsement of Karen Taylor Robson in the gubernatorial race in Arizona. Trump has backed Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake ain't afraid to punch everybody in the face, including herself. Carrie Lake is freaking fearless. Fearless. And she has done some good interviews where, for example, Brett Baer was completely wrong. 
the Brett Bear Carrie Lake interview. Um, where I, I did she, did she what, what what did she do? She she did she hire a stripper? Like what was the um of the question? Uh, about claims of, uh, from a, from a transgender stripper who accused Lake um, of, of hypocrisy. I I, 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 I don't know. Did she hire a stripper or something uh, to that effect? I never paid too much attention to the story, but Brett Bear decided to ask about it. I don't even know. I don't know how that applies to anything. Some allegation from someone. I don't know how that applies to anything in 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 in, in the race. I didn't understand it, and she. And she tried to burn them to the ground. And so people like that. People like the the, the fighting in that. They, they really and, and, and truly do. But Mike Pence has endorsed the competitor to Carrie Lake, this Karen Taylor Robson. I know absolutely zero about Karen Taylor Robson. Zero. She was a member of the Arizona Board of Regents and was appointed by Governor, current Governor Doug Ducey, who is termed out. So here's Pence saying, I am going to nominate someone different than Trump, just like I did uh, in... Uh, uh, in, in in Georgia, or nominate, uh, endorse somebody else, and, and and that's how I'm going against the system. If you want to be Kinzinger and Cheney and do that, well, feel free. That's a rational take. You believe in somebody else, you want to see how you stack up against Trump's endorsements, feel free. Uh, Trump-endorsed candidate just won the gubernatorial nod in Maryland to uh, take over for Larry Hogan, who has been a uh, uh, not so not so great he has been not so great. In Arizona, I don't yet know how popular um, Carrie Lake is. I haven't, I haven't dug in. I think she's popular with, with the Trump crowd. I don't know if she's popular with, with, with Arizona. But that's how you do it. I disagree with Trump. I'm going to do this thing over here. I disagree with Trump, so I'm going to be part of a committee that is never ever going to engage in facts, but only is engaging in destruction of a party that I'm a part of? That's criminally ignorant. And Kinzinger and Cheney, well, Kinzinger was drawn out of his district. He's not running for re-election. And Cheney is down 22 points in her run for re-election. No one should be shocked by these things. How that's the, the January 6th committee is not how you go about doing something where you disagree with Trump. You disagree by disagreeing. You disagree by saying that's who you pick. I'm picking the other guy because you don't know how to pick people. You're nuts. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Now, what's going to happen with Pence's selection? A beat beats me. Don't have the slightest clue of what's going to happen here. Zero. If if Trump wins, I mean, Carrie Lake has been a hot hand for a long time. If Pence wins, well, that's a story. Remember, Pence is setting himself up for a presidential run. I don't think he should. 
but I'm not going to stop the man. He's, he's going to do what he's going to do. And for the people who want to call him a traitor, well, I don't buy into any of that. I just don't think he should run. I think he's the next Secretary of State, and he's going to be incredible. That's his future. Secretary of State for Ron DeSantis or Greg Abbott or maybe somebody else. Just not president because he's not going to win a primary. I don't see that happening. But I have no problem with him endorsing somebody else. I have a serious problem with the Secret Service not having the text messages they were supposed to keep. I think we all should. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. There is a story I saw in the Boston Globe, but it's behind a paywall. I got to get into it. Astronomers, according to uh, MIT, have detected uh, radio signals in a far-off galaxy. It's a fast radio burst, an intensely strong burst of radio waves. Okay. What is the, is it contact with, with Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey? Yeah, good flick. Right? Is it, I, I, don't, I don't know uh, if, if that's what we're talking about here. But man, first, we're not alone in the universe. No way, no how, wouldn't buy it for a second. We're totally not alone in the universe. Let's, let's never think we are. Uh, but second, this is freaky and cool. And by the way, it could be nothing. It could be some solar something and, and it's just showing up as a, as a radio wave. Or it's something. Either way. Super cool. Super cool. I'm just putting money on not alone. There's just not a possibility of that. I can't, I can't, get, I can't get myself to buy into the fact that we're it. Me and producer Ari, we're it. We're we're the only advanced life forms out there. No way. I'm flattered I was grouped in with you. Well, I had to do something with you. We're not alone. I had the the chance to speak to uh, Noah Rothman from Commentary Magazine. He has got a, a new book, and he, it, it it's it's right on the money. It's actually sitting. Uh, Right behind me, the New Puritans, the rise of the New Puritans, fighting back against progressives' war on fun. And how that actually affects all of us. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. Woke culture exists in this rather unique vacuum where every day they have to find something new to be outraged about because outrage proves how good and decent you are. It is outrage that proves that you care. If you are not outraged by something at all times and there's always something to be outraged about, well, then then you're, you're not paying attention. You're not woke. And because of that, you have a a, a society that is remarkably angry all the time and angry at you for not being as angry as they are. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Now, I, of course, 
pay attention to this. We, of course, have discussed this. Uh, but it was Noah Rothman who beat us all to the punch with the book. It's available at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. The Rise of the New Puritans, Fighting Back Against Progressives' War on Fun. Noah Rothman of Commentary Magazine. You see him uh, writing and and on NBC News. He joins us right now. Uh, I I have a couple subjects I want to get into, some of your latest at Commentary Magazine, and how uh, some of this applies, especially as, as Biden is considering climate emergencies and things like that. But as a concept, uh, the rise of the new Puritans, why was that your connectivity point? Well, initially, I wanted to explore why everything was making me miserable. In 2020, I was absolutely miserable. This is the depths of the pandemic. We had just had the riots. Every institution in America had committed itself to reconceptualizing the founding as something horrible. And I'm, I'm in the news cycle and just horrified. So I'm talking to my wife and she says, well, what do you want to do? Well, if I had my druthers, I talk to people in institutions and in uh, uh, occupations that I enjoy working comics, chefs, creatives, sports broadcasters and the like. But no, you can't because politics is everywhere. It's in everything. There's no escape from it. And that turned out to be the book. But you have to identify why they're doing this. What is the moral framework that informs this? Why is it that entertainment companies can't just produce entertainment anymore? They have to have didactic narratives that lead you to a preferred conclusion because it has to have a higher social value. Why are comics emphasizing the pain that somebody experienced so that you could enjoy something as shallow and trite as a punchline? Why can't you watch sports anymore without prolonged digressions about the lamentable state of American race relations being injected into it? Why do you get admonished when you want escapism? Because escapism is an abdication of your responsibility to dwell on all things horrible. And the answer lies, I view, in progressivism, modern progressivism, which has its roots in mainline Protestantism in the 19th century. And mainline Protestantism has its roots in the 1700s and the 1600s and a puritanical ethos, a quasi-religious ethos that blended religiosity and society and politics into one amalgam to create this homogenous culture. And it's a moral crusade. It's as much a moral crusade as a political program. And I really think that helps you decode the world around you. Why is it that all of a sudden progressives became moral crusaders when that used to be a trait exclusively on the right? The right used to see your cultural products as degrading society and corrupting you. And the left emphasized hedonism and self-gratification as its own virtue and value. That script has been totally flipped. And the answer lies in modern progressivism and its, its vestigial fealty to Puritanism. So utilizing this in in a parlance that we've used on the show, uh, it was in the 1960s that the left were the hippies and the right was the man. They were square and you were fighting against the man. And now the political right is the counterculture because the left controls the institutions and they are the man. But even when they're the man, they're not happy. And it seems that every single turn, and as I experienced many of the same things that you you uh, have experienced, and I'm still experiencing them, on every single turn, they have one more place to which to lecture to you. So it isn't about leading by example, as I see it. It's about the need to lecture. What did you, I mean, did, did you find that? Did you find more than that? Did you find it different than that? What, what were some of your, uh, I guess I'll use the word findings in your book. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, it's, it's not a an unfulfilling activity, though, uh, even though you, what, what we see is, as fanaticism, as just screaming into a brick wall, uh, 
it seems it, it is to them a mark of their seriousness of purpose, their sobriety. They are so finely attuned to the world's ills that they, they can see them. They can peel back the curtain and see the hideous hidden workings of the world and identify in seemingly banal pastimes the, the, the horrors of society and, uh, and that which other people are suffering and going without. And so in, in the process of this, they, they identify racism in fly fishing. They identify classism in sewing. And it's the sort of thing that seems to you to be mania. But it's, it's, it is to them, a, it, a, it provides them with a way to demonstrate how pious and virtuous they are. It gives them a sense of control over a world that has gone mad. Um, it, dem- it, they, it, it is accompanied by big displays, big booming displays of sanctimony and self-deprivation. They do not allow themselves pleasures like simple fare, food, uh, cultural appropriation has, has tainted your Asian fusion dish. So they can't have that. They deny themselves that. And self-deprivation and self-denial uh, have, made, have found their way into religious practice throughout history, in part because abnegation gives you a sense of meaning and purpose in your life, and it provides you with an understanding of the world around you and that which other people are going without. My book, I attempt very much to be gracious towards this philosophy, because there's elements of traditional religiosity in it that have a lot of value to them. They're, they're endemic to the human experience, so there must be something to say for them. But in the process, the left is engineering another great awakening in American society. They don't necessarily see it as religious because they are too steeped in their own mythology. So it takes a conservative to, to dissect this philosophy and identify the traits that are familiar to all human history, uh, particularly and much less American history, all humankind, but certainly American history and our vestigial um, elements of Puritanism in both political coalitions. This so is a, a legacy asked, that we are both the heirs to, and we both have elements of it. Progressives don't recognize the Puritanism in their own coalition, but that's vanity, and this book hopes to address that. So I asked you, talking to Noah Rothman, Noah C. Rothman, he is the author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Fighting Back Against Progressives' War on Fun. You can find it at Amazon.com from Broadside Books. You can find it wherever fine books uh, are sold. I, we were texting, I said, give me an example of where you believe this applies in modern day. And in about 17 seconds, you sent me back a story that we talked about this week. The insanity people have gone to about Joe Rogan's podcast about, quote-unquote, shooting the homeless. He was having a conversation with Tom Segura, uh, uh, another comic. I paid attention to it because somehow it became an attack on cigars, and you know that's where I live and breathe. Uh, But it was... Hmm. Did anybody think that Joe Rogan was actively, proactively, seriously discussing the idea of shooting homeless people? So you tell me how this connects with the New Puritans. Absolutely. There's a whole chapter on comedy, and this fits perfectly well within it. Two traits that you can see uh, on the New Puritan, the puritanically inclined progressive left when it comes to comedy. The first is an element of condescension. Nobody thinks that Joe Rogan is going to walk in the streets of Los Angeles and gun down homeless people. But you might. We don't know about you. We're afraid of you. You probably don't have the proper socialization or just a, a drooling idiot to the point where you will be you'll be convinced by this, manipulated into doing this. This is something that I saw uh, frequently. There was a, an author by the name of Seth Simons who wrote a piece for The New Republic in 2019 where he identified the origins of the alt-right in a form of 
comedy that was popular in the early 2000s called Cringe, um, which leveraged dark, which dark humor leveraged uh, homophobia, racism, sexism, violence for humor value. That's a clinical description of dark humor, uh, which would make you think that anybody who enjoys it is probably a bad person. But dark humor is is native to the human experience. It makes terrible circumstances endurable. And that's the essence of dark humor is to laugh your way up the gallows steps and find uh, find something enjoyable and humorous in the darkest moments of the human experience. So Simons draws a straight line from that comedy form in 2000 to the sacking of the Capitol building, which is a bizarre uh, you know, co- correlation to make. But he nevertheless does it. Uh, in part because he doesn't believe that you can be trusted with comedy. Couple that with an instinct on the left to abhor and reject punchlines, humor value. And I take just one example of the anti-comic Hannah Gatsby, who is funny when she wants to be, but sometimes she doesn't want to be. Sometimes she'll build the same tension that would lead to a joke and deny you the release of a punchline. She'll circle back to something she said five minutes ago and make you interrogate yourself. Why did you think that was funny? Why was my pain funny to you? That's what really enlivens her fans on the puritanically inclined progressive left. It's not the laugh they like. It's the pain. It's the anguish. It's the torment. It's the marinating yourself in the worst aspects of of, uh, the human condition, which makes you in their minds, a more responsible person, a more um, a more studious person, somebody who's capable of more empathy than the average man. So there's a, a profound element of condescension to this. And you can see why it would make you feel better about yourself. It so, just makes and, you into an absolutely miserable person to to be around and to uh, to have to endure. So you, you called it in this new philosophy is it's making its adherence into miserable people. But you called it condescension. And I, I think that's an interesting way to look at it because I always look at it as them showing their elitism. If you want to draw a line between, you know, uh, a Joe Rogan joke and, and January 6th, for example, that that is, of course, madness. But it's what happens when you believe yourself smarter than the rest, better than the rest, touched by God, as David Mamet wrote, you know, uh, touched with the secret knowledge. That's exactly what Barry Weiss wrote about when she left the New York Times. You know a secret and your job is to share it with everybody else but they're not really ready for the secret so you got to kind of pat them on the head it's always that you're taking it in the in the other uh, kind of kind of direction i think that's i think that's an interesting way to view it well thank you i, I certainly hope so uh and yeah i do believe that there's quite a lot to say for the psychological benefits associated with this philosophy it's adherence believe themselves to be better smarter wiser uh, more attuned to the human experience than the average person. Uh, and the human experience, in their emphasis, is one of pain, is one of anguish and deprivation and privation. Um, and, and to ignore that, and to, or at least to fail to inc- incorporate it into average daily experiences, which is part of the reason why, by the way, you can't go home to your family on the holidays and enjoy holidays, because holidays encourage sort of escapism. They don't allow you to dwell on the misery of life, which is why, you know, a a young cohort is being lectured every year to go home to their families and berate them about the horrors of the American experience. This is as native to Puritanic Puritanism and progressivism as it gets. It is the it isn't the holiday that's the problem in Cotton Mather's formulation. It is what it encourages in you, lewd drinking. Uh, excessive uh, eating, uh, uh, gaming, the sorts of things that take you away from God, because you are not thinking about God in those moments. You are thinking about yourself 
and your trite personal self-gratification, um, which makes of you a bad person. Uh, this is the sort of fanaticism that is overtaking a progressively inclined left, which is, by the way, not Democrats, not liberals, not even all progressives. It's a small band, but they punch way above their weight, and they have captured many an institution and intimidated many a, dis- a dissenter. But there's a backlash brewing, man. Everybody I talk to who votes Democratic is liberal. It resents this, not because they disagree with the philosophy, but because they get up every morning unable to do their jobs. They can't cook good food. They can't write good scripts. They can't broadcast sports. They have to do politics. And some of them are getting out of their jobs. Some of them are losing all their satisfaction that they have in their life's work, that which they have, which they love and have geared their entire lives toward. Uh, and they profoundly resent it we so i can tell you noah and 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 understand i i'm a fan of noah rothman's i've had a beer with noah rothman i like noah rothman quite a bit on a personal professional level i discuss redefining my career hourly how i do this show how things we've added in to the program i built an entire world around cigars and bourbon as a matter of escapism and then that turned into a show for the love of god uh (laughs) you are discussing something that is incredibly real and for me a rather personal thing because the politics have become all consuming and all insane all the time and these people are ridiculously angry when i take a look back at, and we still have about a minute left in, in in take a look back at 2020 i watched in a country fight each other over a pandemic of who was worse while there was a pandemic not fighting the pandemic it was like what mm-hmm. what is it that we're actually staring at there is no together here because somebody had to be right and somebody had to be wrong so the idea of the escapism of politics is extremely important and the question I would ask you, based on how you're bringing it up, is you see is this as a potential detriment. What is it that you're seeing down the road? Well, I have a hopeful outlook on this, frankly, because cults of misery have historically short shelf lives, including the Puritans. The big P Puritans had a, a, a long tail on their philosophy, but the Puritans themselves lived to see what they understood to be their experiment collapse out from under them. They needed a homogenized society to create the kind of conditions that they wanted to endure. And the homogenized society is just simply uh, does not, is not sustainable. This book does not talk about politics. It is, it does, it helps to, it, it tries to help you reconceptualize politics as what politics is, legislative affairs, electoral outcomes, your hobbies, your holidays, your TV, your films, your sex, your alcohol, your family. Uh, none of that is responsive to legislative affairs. So you work yourselves up into a froth over something that is not responsive to your urgent moral imperative, and it makes you a fatalistic person, a miserable person. And it's just you don't emulate a sort of behavior that I think other people will want to follow. I give you a way out. I give you an example and a paradigm that is much easier to follow because it's far more fun. The book from Noah Rothman, The Rise of the New Puritans, Fighting Back Against Progressives' War on fun you can find it at amazon.com you can find it wherever fine books are sold uh there's a picture of him in, in the back you need a better photo man that needs to be clearer you need some better lighting uh, you know what we'll work with you we'll, we'll we'll send you somebody we'll make it happen noah rothman it's always a pleasure to talk with you man more coming up i'm tony katz didn't get to talk climate emergency with him abortion emergency everything's an emergency 
for the Biden administration. They can't get done what they want to get done, so they figure out how to manipulate the rules because, you know, within that conversation with Noah, there's something very, very true. They believe they know best, and they have to remind us of how terrible things are. The overturning of Roe v. Wade and returning to the states this decision is good. It might be hard to come up with a decision on abortion, but that's what it takes to have a republic. You can't get what you want to get done uh, via your, your Green New Deal agenda, so you decide there's a climate emergency? More fear, more pain. Why aren't you doing this? These people won't do what we want. We have to do it for you. We're... Great example. Great example, by the way. Joe Biden has no basis for creating a climate emergency, an abortion emergency. The only emergency we have is him in office. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.